Our scripture reading today is from Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, and Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. That was about the flimsiest thanks be to God I've ever heard. It's because that's a tough text, don't you think? And yet, we're going to look at it today. And and you know as well as I do that of all the issue that uh, churchgoers have disagreed about, I guess the most controversial and uh, heated one has been politics. You know that? And here I am. I'm going to launch into that sort of thing today. Because today we come to this seminal text that Lisa has just read to us about how we are to respond to what the Apostle Paul, who wrote that, called the governing authorities. And by that, he meant to all those people who are placed in authority. In our country, it's by voting. Others, it's monarchy and things. It would, it would be from an emperor um, in, his, in his world, uh, president in ours, down to governor, you know, mayor, um, uh, law enforcement official, Uh, All of these sorts of things, how on earth do we, who have surrendered our whole lives to the God of the universe, respond to these other authorities? Are you ready to sort of plunge into that with me today? I wanted to turn it over to one of the other pastors. I'll just tell you that. But I'm telling you this, as I knew that this was on the dock today, I was so grateful that Chris and I had the privilege of hosting in our home some friends from mainland China. And so, as I so often do, I seize the opportunity to talk with them how in their government, how they as Christians responded to this issue. And it was so eye-opening and helpful to me. 
what we talked about that day really helped shape what I'm going to be talking with you about today. And one of the main points that they made to me is that we have to remember when we read Romans 13 that it was written by a man who himself had been imprisoned by the governing authorities, sometimes beaten by the governing authorities. And it was written to Christians in a church in Rome who had been persecuted themselves. Less than a decade before Paul wrote this letter, the Christians and Jewish people had been run out of Rome by an emperor named Claudius and had to come back in. So these were these persecuted people. The point is that when we read this, you've got to know that when he talks about people who are in authority and governing authorities, he is talking from his perspective and, and to the church people who had no real voice in that society. They were out there on the margins. And so they said to me, now, when we read this, we read it in one way. We read it in such a way that we ask the question, how can we live in this kind of government in such a way that we can actually bring glory to Jesus and give witness to Jesus in the midst of this kind of a place where it's often opposition to Jesus? But when you read it sometimes in a place where Christians have more money, more influence, uh, big churches like this, sometimes, they said to me, it seems that perhaps we have read it in a different way that may not be altogether appropriate. Like what? Well, did you know that this text, Romans 13, is one of the texts that slave owners early in our own country used to keep slaves under their authority? said, look, you are supposed to submit to the authorities and we're your authority, do what we say. What do you think of that? Did you know that in Nazi Germany, this was a text that churchgoers and pastors used to call upon people to support the Nazi government and the unjust and evil ways of Hitler? Did you know that? So we'd better be awfully careful about how we read that. With that in mind, let's plunge into the passage today. Here's what I'm going to do. You know this sermon could be 15 hours long. You know that. So I've I just got to go into it. Here's what I've decided to do. I'm going to start back with the words of Jesus. It's a good place to begin. Amen? <laughs> start back to the words of Jesus, which I think is one of the most profound texts that sets the stage for everything we think about our response to authority in this world. Then I'm going to pull it forward into this text, where later the Apostle Paul took Jesus' words and applied it to church people there in the city of Rome. Because I've been thinking that as we in our own country seem to have this big divide that often affects us even when we come to church, we are united because we have surrendered our whole lives to the Lord Jesus, right? He has shown us mercy that we don't deserve. There's something that holds us together that is greater than anything in this world. And then we have to ask the question, how does that affect the way we live in a world in which people are often so divided by political matters. Now, I've got to tell you up front, so that you have realistic expectations, I'm not going to be talking about specific issues like, oh, tax reform or um, health care issues or even whether the emperor should tweet. I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> I'm going to think about this matter, that when we have surrendered our lives to the one who showed mercy, gave his lifeblood to, for us, <laughs> so that we belong to him, how does that affect the way we respond to any other authority in this world? Ready to go at it? Okay, let's start with Jesus, the Jesus message. Matthew chapter 22, verse 17, uh, he would say, give to Caesar, I think it's verse 21 really, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. 
Now, the Jewish people, Jesus' own people, in Jesus' day, were also, all, also tremendously divided politically. Yeah, they were, their country was occupied by, by a Roman government that they didn't appreciate at all. So there were sort of two main, they had both the CNN and the Fox people here, you see, so they had both. They had the ones on one side who said we should support the Roman government. They were the Herodians, they raised money for the Roman government to keep it there. On the other side, most of Jesus' own kinsmen, uh, most of the Jewish people, like the Pharisees, were tremendously opposed to even having the Roman people in their country, much less ruling over them. So one day, after Jesus had gone into Jerusalem, just before he gave his life for us, it's amazing when you think about it. Uh, people from both sides of that political divide came together to try to trick Jesus. And you can read about it in Matthew 22. They came to him with this question. What they first did was they sort of buttered him up. They, they, they flattered him. And then they, they, they asked uh, this question, Rabbi, after they flattered him, we need your opinion about something. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Sounds like an innocent question, right? It was a treacherous question. I'll tell you why. Because if Jesus had said, no, you shouldn't pay taxes to Rome, he would be viewed as a traitor. If he said, yes, you should pay taxes to Rome, it would undermine his relationship with his own people and the ministry that he had came to bring to them. What was he going to do? So he saw through all of this. I wish I had that kind of wisdom. Uh, he did, and uh, I asked for it. But he saw through it all, and he said, you hypocrites. Why are you trying to trick me? Do this. Um, take out a coin. Show me a coin. So we don't have, but you can see one. You can find these in museums. He says, whose image do you see on that coin? Can, can, is it clear for you? Can you see it? Whose image do you see on that coin? And they replied that. They said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. I'll tell you, with that one statement, Jesus established sort of the biblical parameters, the perspective for understanding the relationship between any kind of authority in this world, within your family, your business, but here governing authorities, between it and the ultimate authority that we owe to God. His words teach us here that there is a legitimate place in God's universe for political authority, for governing authority. And that's why he said, the coin bears the image of the emperor, so when he calls for it, you should pay the taxes that are owed to you. But bubbling underneath his words is this matter, that everything belongs to God. Give to God what is God's. What belongs to God? He owns everything in this world, particularly us as human beings. Let me ask you, brothers and sisters, in whose image are you made? <laughs> whose image do you bear? So do you see what he's saying? He's saying, yeah, it's a trick question, David. Yeah. He, do you see what he's saying? He's saying, in this world, there is a place that God would have you to pay due uh, respect for the authorities that are there, but at the end of the day, your ultimate authority belongs to God himself. I'll tell you, Jesus' statement, in my estimation, is the most important political statement in the entire Bible. And I view it as the passage that undergirds everything Paul says in Romans chapter 13. So let's look at it. 
from Jesus to Paul, I've called it. Romans 13, 1 to 7, in which the Apostle Paul, sounding much like Jesus, says, give to everyone what you owe them. 25 to 30 years after Jesus had said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's, the Apostle Paul took that teaching, and in my view, he applied it to the Christians and political situation in Rome. And so I've been, I've been thinking if we can do the same here, we might be able to reset this issue for us so that as the world might be divided about this, you and I united in Christ might be able to help people see a way through the political divide. Um, let me boil down what the Apostle Paul said then in these seven verses to them uh, based on give to everyone what you owe them. Um, I just have three principles. Number one, Christians followers of Jesus, we are people who have submitted our lives fully to God. So that when you read through this section in, in Romans 12 and 13, it begins in the way that Lisa read it to us. In view of God's mercy, what do we do? When, when we've understood Jesus had to die for us, we had no hope, what do we do? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Give our bodies to Him. Offer your minds. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then Paul says, when you do that, when instead of living for yourself, you offer your body and your mind to God, it changes every part of your life. That's what Romans 12 through 16 is all about. What, in what ways? Well, this has been the series I've been doing on resetting. Ways like this. Uh, one, when you have responded to God's mercy and faith to Jesus, he brings us into one family. Here we are, brothers and sisters. Very different kinds of family. And then my first message out of that, verses 3 through 8, he tells us to serve one another. Beyond that, he brings us together, and sometimes we're very different kinds of people. Amen? Not people who would normally maybe be sitting in the same worship center together. And he says, you've got to do this. You've got to love one another without hypocrisy. <laughs> that was my second message. And then when we actually learn to love one another, we have to represent God out in the world. And in that powerful message that Pastor Jeff brought last week, we have to go out and love the world. We're showing to them the love that God has shown to us, chapter 12, verses 14 to 21. Now this week we come together, and they're in Rome, where they've just been driven out of the country, just come back into the city. He says, this also is going to affect the way that you respond to government. And uh, in what way? We're going to bring this perspective to it. What perspective? It's in verse 1. There is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. It's almost like you might have missed it the first time. I'm going to say it again. <laughs> Consequently, he says, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. So just mark it down. This is the fundamental perspective that we bring into this matter of how we respond to any authority in this world. That the God that we have come to meet, that we call our Father, is the king over all kings. The, the parent over all parents. The elder over all who has established and rules over every authority in this world. And I'll tell you, that perspective changes the way we respond to any authority. How? Principle number two. So Christians in any nation, any nation, under any kind of a government, become people who become committed to being supportive of their leaders and to being law-abiding citizens. 
Do you see that? Do what is right, verses 3 and 4. Then you'll be commended. The one in authority is God's servant for your good. Now, the way that I read these seven verses is this, that the first inclination, uh, I sometimes think of it as the muscle response of any Christian, whether you live in China, whether you lived in Rome, whether you live here in California, our first inclination is we want to support our leaders. We want them to know that. We, our first inclination is when there's a law, we want to be a law-abiding citizen. Yes, even when you drive your, your car and it says 55 miles, look, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to myself right here, but, it, but in all of those things. And, and, and the reason is not because we think they're really, really great laws or we really like that leader and you know all of that. It's simply because God has established the authority and he has told us because I have. You've got to know that I'm over it. I want you to submit your ways to them. So you see, it, we who are Christians, no matter where we are, we don't seek to be good citizens simply because we agree with everything or because we really like people. We do it because we're servants of God. And because God is over everything in this universe, and when we see that and we remember that Paul was writing in a situation in which it was not a good government, it certainly was not one that favored Christians, uh, I'll tell you that, and yet he still said to them, your natural response is, in your everyday time, you're going to want to support your leaders. They need to know that when a Christian is there, they're going to have a good citizen who is there because that God, the God who is your God has instituted that power. It changes the way we do it. Uh, even though the words Paul uses here are few, they're just seven verses, we might ask the question, why, why should we do that? And he gives us a little indication about why God establishes authorities and really just kind of gives us two reasons. One, because any authority that is there is there to promote what is good. So that's why he said, do what is good and you'll be commended. And you can understand this, can't you? Um, if you're in business, if you work for somebody, you know that the good leader in business will try to commend people who do good work and work hard and do what is right, right? That's what they should reward, what they should commend. To further, in a, in a family, uh, parents, when your kids do what's right, those are the times you want to commend them, right? And the same thing is true of a good government. When it is operating the way it's supposed to, the good government should be there to commend what is good and what is right. And that's why he calls us, do what is good. And the normal thing is going to be, it will be commended. You'll have nothing to fear. And the flip side is also there. It's not only to promote good, it's also to punish evil. Rulers are God's servants. They are agents of wrath to bring punishment on evildoers. Now, many of you haven't been here with us all through my sermons in Romans, but in Romans chapter 1, there's only one person who is absolutely perfect. Uh, who is it? Do you have any idea? It was God, Lord Jesus, who lived it out when he came here. And God, who is holy and right, has said, the universe I have made, eventually everything will be made right. But that means that evil has to be punished. So in Romans chapter 1, it says so clearly God's wrath is going to be poured out against all evil, which means that when there's evil done in this world, it won't just be swept under the rug by God. You know in your family, if, if, if somebody in the family is doing what's wrong and you just ignore it, the family doesn't become a good family, right? Someone has to step in and deal with that. And so our world is filled with a lot of things that are wrong. And God says, my wrath will be poured out against it. And we say, how? 
Well, last week, Pastor Jeff pointed out in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21, that we're not supposed to be the ones who repay evil for evil. Do you remember? We are not to be the ones that when somebody does something wrong to us, we step out and take revenge. Then who's going to do it, you say? And God says, I establish authorities in this world who are my agents of wrath to bring out just, just, justice. Does that make sense to you? Uh, that's true as teachers when you're in school. It's true of uh, parents and your family, and that's true of a governmental leader. Now, when I say all that, we all know that human governments do not do this perfectly, right? There's no human government that does this perfectly. Nevertheless, I've got to, before I go to the next point, writing to people living under a very bad government, the Apostle Paul is here implying that even a bad government like they had is better than anarchy. You, you know what anarchy is. That's when anybody feels like I have the right to do whatever I want to do. It's like the book of Judges, where every man and woman did what was right in his or her own eyes. Do you know what life is like in a society where you have anarchy? Read the book of Judges. You know what it looks like? It looks like what the Bible describes hell as being like. Where, where anybody, it's might makes right. Whatever you want to do can be done. Whoever's strongest gets by with what they do. And God says, no, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to plant authorities in this world to bring about justice. And in the light of that, even when some of our governments don't do their jobs very well, don't really promote what is good and don't really punish what is evil. The Apostle Paul says the natural inclination that we should have as followers of Jesus is that we will seek to be good citizens and as supportive as we can be of those that God has appointed to be our leaders. Which brings me to the third principle. For followers of Jesus, Submitting to governmental authority is not the same as blind obedience. The words of Jesus, give to God what is God's. Uh, the words of Paul, give to everyone what you owe them. And here at last I come to the question that I hope you've been uh, wondering about all morning. Pastor, does Romans 7, uh, 13 mean that we as Christians should never take a stand against our government or organize opposition to any of its political ways? And I'll tell you, in my estimation, what the Bible says in Romans 13, 1 to 7 is not a complete prohibition of opposition to our government, even at times vigorous and sometimes forceful opposition. M many have said that it is I don't think so, and I'm going to try to tell you why. Are you with me? This general call to you and me to live a life of submission to God-established authorities is not the same as just hearing any particular command or edict that is given and just saying, I'll obey it. Because, do you know what the first commandment is? Nothing in the place of God. Nothing before God. And that includes governments. And there will always be times in this, in this fallen world when every government will ask of us things that we cannot give. Governments will ask us as followers of, of the king over all kings to do things that we cannot do. 
So, so the, the basic rule that I hold on to is we should give where we can give out of respect and honor to the leadership. We should obey where we can obey. But the king above all kings, the president over all presidents, is our heavenly father, and our ultimate allegiance is to him. And I'll tell you, there will always be times when to obey God, we just have to disobey the governing authorities. You surely know that the Bible gives us examples of that, right? Can I remind you of a few of them? Okay, Daniel chapter 3. When King Nebuchadnezzar decreed that all the subjects had to worship his image, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to do it. And we tell their story in our Sunday schools, <laughs> and we celebrate it, right? Just three chapters later, another king, King Darius, decreed that nobody should pray to any god or person other than to Darius himself, and Daniel refused to do it. In fact, in open, with an open window, he was there found praying. And what do we do? I mean, if those of you who are younger than I am, you don't know. We sing songs like, dare to be a Daniel, dare, dare to make it known. You know, we become like him. We celebrate that. And then in the New Testament, too, when the Sanhedrin, the ruling body there in Israel, when they turned to all of the Christians and they said, you dare not any longer preach in the name of Jesus, the apostles refused to obey. And in Acts 4.20, this is what happened. They, the, the apostles turned to them and said, which is right in God's eyes, to obey you or to obey him? And their decision was, we will obey God. Now think about it. In each of these situations, what we find, and it's what Chuck Colson and his book, Kingdoms in Conflict, is a, a book that really has helped me as I've thought about this for many, many years. He would say, when you look at these incidences in the Bible of that kind of revolt against authority, each time it was to demonstrate their, their submissiveness to God, it was not to show their defiance to their government. But I'll tell you, I started praying and thinking about this back in my college years when I was at Wheaton so long ago. And I thought about how can I discern where I simply must submit and obey and other places where, no, I've got to obey God instead. And I jotted down three guidelines. You may have better ones, but I thought just I'd share them with you and have you to chew on these and see if these are helpful to you. Three places where when I sense that what I'm being asked to do, I cannot do, I, I look to these. Number one, am I being asked to violate a direct command from God's word? See, a revolution of any kind against any government, whether in Rome or China or here, will always be a serious matter for those of us who follow Jesus because we say he established the authorities. So I, I think we have to be really sure of what God's word commands of us before we undermine something that God has established. So that's the first question I ask. Question number two. Am I being asked to do something that is immoral or unethical or does it, as Romans 13, 5 say, go against conscience? My conscience, which I pray, has been informed by my understanding of the Word and the presence of God's Spirit. If so, I, I simply cannot disobey what I sense God asking me to do. And third, and this isn't found in Romans 13, and I'll tell you why, but third principle that I set down is this. Is God asking me in this situation to be a voice for the voiceless? 
for those who are being treated unjustly where I may have some influence. Now, you don't see Paul writing to the Roman Christians and saying you have to learn to be a voice to the voiceless. Can you imagine why he might not have written this to them? Yeah. They were the voiceless themselves. These were the people who had no influence. These were the ones who'd just come out of prison. These were the ones who'd just been right, uh, run out of the city. And so for them, they were trying to figure out how can we live in such a way that people will see Christ in us. But I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, we're here in the United States. We, God has given to us a lot of voice. We are a part of this people that is of, by, and for the people. We're a part of that. He's given us the opportunity to have big church buildings like this and, and so, so much affluence, so many roles here. So I will tell you when I, when I think about that, I come and say we dare not ignore other passages in the Bible like a passage that I cite to you so often, Proverbs chapter 31, verses 8 to 10. It's been very meaningful to me. I'll, I'll show it to you. Speak out on behalf of the voiceless and for the rights of those who are vulnerable. Speak out in order to judge with righteousness and to defend the needy and the poor. I'll tell you, we applaud when we read Exodus 1 and the story of those uh, Hebrew midwives who when Pharaoh said you had to kill all the little boys, they refused to do it. Don't, didn't you, don't you applaud when you read that kind of a story? Uh, I rejoice when I think about my brothers and sisters in our own country who in the time of slavery set up those underground railroads and helped people made in the image of God who were under slavery get out of that slavery and into freedom. I rejoice in that. And I'll tell you this too, brothers and sisters, I rejoice that Lake Avenue Church is a part of a movement, the Congregationalist Movement, where a brother church on the other side of the country, Park Street Church Boston, is where the first anti-slavery speech in America was delivered. I hear that and I take great pride. I don't know if you do, but, I, but I, certainly, I certainly do. And I'll tell you, we read the books and say, learn the lessons from pastors like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Martin Niemöller, who in the time in which the Jewish people had no voice in that Nazi society, took their positions and gave voice to it, and for that were willing to be imprisoned. And I've thought about that, and I said, Lord, there are surely issues like that in our own day where people need the voice of, of a pastor of a church like this. And in my own conscience, it, it often takes me to children. Uh, I, I thought I go quickly uh, to the unborn children. Do you remember a few weeks ago in Sanctity of Life Sunday when I talked about that, that unborn children need the voice of others as their lives are being taken? It, it takes me right now more and more to the children who are being sold in, into trafficking all around our world and even here in our own state, that, that they need a voice for them. It, it takes me, and you may disagree with all the places where it takes me, but it takes me to the many children who were brought here without documentation and now find themselves in a place where uh, they're in distress and, and great uncertainty and, and need a community of people who will pray with them and walk with them. It takes me, Ray, when you talk, it takes me to many times the men who come out of prison and sometimes are, are held at arm's length and don't know where they're going to belong except in their gangs or with their former drug dealers. And, and I say, somebody's got to give voice there. Now, when we take stands uh, like these about things happening in our society, we surely should pray 
that our leaders will have wisdom to establish the kind of laws that protect the innocent and the voiceless. And when we have to take a stand against them and oppose things that are happening in our own society, we have to be ready to accept the consequences, right? Just like Christians did. So they'd preach and they'd get slapped into prison and they'd sing songs to the Lord there. You read the story in the book of Acts and we have to be willing to do that as well. But in my view, our basic muscle, principle two, is we're gonna be the best citizens imaginable supporting our leaders. Whenever God's laws are being flouted, our ultimate allegiance is to God because I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, we belong to him. Tough topic, isn't it? But I love the way the Apostle Paul ends this discussion. In verse 7, he says, So, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. Probably a good word for us, tax season's on us. <laughs> if revenue, then revenue. So if you have any debts to anyone, be sure to pay them back. If respect, then respect. Um, what human beings are not worthy of respect? If honor, then honor. In fact, as I boil it down, I see the twofold call of Scripture is number one, honor all people, for all people are made in the image of God, and that includes your leaders. Pray for all people, and that includes your leaders as well. And the Bible shows us how to do this, or at least some of our who's gone before us. So I'm going to conclude my message, and then we're going to go to communion by me showing you their examples. The first one is the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. You've got to, he wrote this just before a fiery trial of our brothers and sisters in Christ in Rome under, under Nero. And look what he said you should do. Look at this. Submit for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme human authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. See those two responsibilities of good government? For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Show proper respect to everyone Love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. Honor and pray. About 100, 150 years later, another man named Tertullian going through another persecution, he really struggled with the, the authorities that were there. You can read about him, as many of us sometimes do in our world, right? And he says, you've got to pray for them. How did he pray? Lord, get rid of these leaders. <laughs> no, look at what he writes. We offer prayer for the safety of our leaders to the living God, whose favor beyond all other things we pray they will desire. We offer prayer without ceasing for our emperors. We pray for prolonged life. We pray for their safety, for protection for their families, for brave armies, 
a trustworthy senate, a virtuous people, and a world at rest. So, if we will do these two things, honor and pray. Honor and pray. We will not go far wrong in the midst of our own world of political divisions. We may even be able to live in unity as God's people, showing people a different way because we follow one king together. And if we will honor and pray, we most certainly will bring glory to God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as difficult as this issue is, we see how relevant it is to us. If this could guide people living under the Roman government, surely, surely, Father, there's something here that will guide us together in ways that honor you in the world in which we live. At any point at which I've been faithful to your word, Father, use it in our lives to direct us in our conduct. Father, as we take this time to remember what it cost for us to know you, the eternal God, the only Holy One, your mercy lavished upon us through the blood of Jesus, deepen our own commitment to you and to your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.